town of Nazareth was known as an area for heavy industry. It was located along a busy road for the world's commerce of its day, sort of like an interstate would be in our culture. It was also a center for the priests who would gather there in their divisions as they made their way to Jerusalem. It had a population of approximately 1,600 to 2,000 people. Mary, as you saw betrayed in the uh, drama just a minute ago, was betrothed to Joseph. Now, betrothal at that time in the Jewish context had two phases to it. Phase one was, the formal, was a formal witnessed agreement to marry and to be given in the bridal price. In other words, that was an endowment given to the father of the bride. You were legally, the lady was legally pledged to the groom at that point and called his wife. The second phase of betrothal happened a year later when they were formally married. In Judaism, the virgins were young maidens who could be married as young as 14 years of age. And we believe Mary was probably no more than 16 to 17 years of age at max when she was betrothed to Joseph. The term that Luke uses for Mary, the Greek term, indicates that she was a virgin. And as a young and unmarried person, lady, Mary would have had absolutely no social status whatsoever. And what we will look at today in this story from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. And if you will turn with me in your Bibles there. The angel Gabriel is going to come to her to give her the announcement of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this announcement of his birth is similar to messages that Gabriel brings. He is sort of the angel who brings messages to folks. We saw him last week with Zechariah in the temple. So turn with me in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, and we will begin with verse 26 there. We will be seeing here the prayers of a servant. I said to you last week in the message that prayer is first of all about God bringing a message to us. And our job in prayer is first not to speak, but to listen. And we saw last week how the angel Gabriel showed up and brought a message from the Lord to Zechariah and Elizabeth that announced the birth of their son, John. Today we're going to see the same pattern. That God brings a message through an angel and prayer begins with Mary there in her home in Nazareth, and the message comes to Mary, Mary listens, and then in response to what God is saying, she begins to pray. And again, we see a pattern of prayer there, that we listen to what God is saying to us, and then receiving and processing what the Lord is saying to us, then we respond to Him in prayer. So often the mistake that we make in prayer is we don't listen to God. We just come to Him and start running off at the mouth and asking Him to do stuff. Rather, if we will come first and say, Lord, I need to listen to what you want to say. And God, you're a God who's communicating, and I want to hear and receive what you are communicating to me. We receive his message, we process it, and then our prayer is a response to what the Lord has said. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. In the sixth month, and that would be the sixth month after her cousin Elizabeth had received the message of the birth of their son, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, 
O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor or grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now notice Mary's response. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And my sermon outline is contained in your bulletin. And I invite you, if you will, to follow along with me. The prayer of a servant. The prayer of a servant has three aspects to it. And we're going through a series of messages called the prayers of Christmas. When we pray the prayer of a servant, three aspects of that prayer. Number one, the prayer of a servant prays in the presence of God. The servant of the Lord prays in the presence of the Lord. Number two, the servant of the Lord prays standing on the promises of God. When I pray as his servant, I pray in his presence and I stand on his promises. And third, the prayer of a servant relies on the provision of God. So when we pray the prayer of a servant, we are praying in the presence of God, standing on the promises of God, and relying on the provision of God. Now let's begin as we get into this passage by looking at the presence of God. Notice verse 26. The angel Gabriel comes to her where she is and speaks to her. He comes to Nazareth. He comes to her little house that she was living in and spoke to her. Last week, he showed up in the temple. Here he shows up in a house. I don't care where you and I are, God can show up and God can and God will speak to us. Wherever we are. Now she wasn't in church. She wasn't apparently doing as we would say religious things. She wasn't even expecting a message. Particularly the message that she got. God chose to send the angel. Or whatever day of the week it was. He chose to show up in her house. At his time. With his message. That she wasn't expecting. And folks when God communicates with us. He has the right to choose. Whatever time he wants to do it. Wherever he wants to do it. With the message that he wants to bring. You see so many times when we tell the Lord is. If you're going to talk to me. It's got to be at this place. At this time. In this way. And this is the message that I am expecting. And God doesn't play by our rules. He only plays by his rules. 
And so when the Lord shows up, he'll show up whenever. Our job is to develop what I like to call a listening lifestyle. And that is, Lord, I'm going to listen to you whenever, wherever you want to communicate to me. I'm ready to receive whatever you've got to say to me with the understanding that when you speak to me, where you speak to me, and the way you speak to me, and what you've got to say when you do speak to me may not be what I was anticipating may not necessarily be what I like, may blow me away with what you say to me. But Lord, I am willing and I am ready to receive whichever you got to say to me. Now in verse 28, as he comes to her and he begins to talk, he says, Greetings, O favored one. And then notice what he says, The Lord is with you. The first thing that he says to her is he affirms to Mary the presence of the Lord. The first thing that God always does to us in prayer is he affirms his presence first. The most basic reality of prayer is the presence of God. The most basic reality of prayer is the presence of God. It is not what I say. It is not how well I say it. It is the reality that the Lord is present with me. God's message will always come first and foremost with His presence. You see, if I feel like I am alone and separated from God, that is a tough place to be in prayer. Because I feel like God's a thousand miles away from me. Satan works overtime to cause us to feel alone. Because if we feel alone, we get discouraged. There is no one that is quite as discouraged as a Christian who feels alone, separated from God. And so the first message that he brought to Mary was, Mary, God's with you. The Lord is with you. The most basic reality of your life, Mary, is that God is with you. What you're getting ready, Mary, to receive from me, remember, first of all, that God is with you. And Mary, as you receive this, it's going to blow you away. It's going to overwhelm you, what I'm about to tell you. And as Mary lived out what the angel Gabriel said to her, it was going to be overwhelming. Can you imagine raising the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you imagine years later watching him being rejected in his hometown? Can you imagine what it was like to be at the foot of the cross watching him be crucified, his body taken down lifeless, and you're his mom? Could you imagine all the thoughts and the sensations that she had, not to mention what she was going to go through becoming pregnant and carrying him? And through all of that, what she kept having to know deep inside of her is God is with me. He is with me more than the scorn of people. He is with me more than the people who don't understand what's going on in my life and how God's using me. He is with me more than the sense of loneliness that I feel. He is with me more than the stares of the people in the town as I will go around pregnant and not being married to Joseph. He is with me as I watch him grow up and I try to figure out how to raise him. He is with me when I Watch him being rejected. God is with me at the cross. God is with me when they bring his body down. He is with me on the morning of the resurrection. God is with me. And that is what God wants us to understand, first of all, in prayer, that God is with us. He is right beside us. Now, Mary knew the provision of God. Verse 28, when he greets her, he says, you are the favored one. The word there in the Greek language means you are someone that God is pouring His grace into. You are receiving His grace. Now, what is the grace of God? The grace of God is all that 
God is in his action. I want to say that again. The grace of God is all that God is in his action. In other words, the grace of God, to use a scientific term, is not the potential energy of God. It is the kinetic energy of God. Now, when I was in the sixth grade, I had this crazy science teacher. And I can still remember potential energy and kinetic energy because she'd stand up and dramatized it in front of the class. And she would say, potential energy is when I stand here and I talk about the energy that I've got. And then she'd run across the room in front of us and she'd say, kinetic energy is when I'm letting it out all over the place. And she was a tiny little lady, but man, she had the energy. And she could let it out all over the place. The grace of God is the glory of God, the majesty of God, the power of God, the love of God, the awesomeness of God, the wisdom of God, not stored up, but running around around us, active all around us. He says, you are the favored one. In other words, the grace of God is being poured in you. The grace of God is all around you, Mary. God's glory, God's love, all that he is, is active around you. Now, follow me on this. Mary was going to need that. Mary was going to have to have that. Because Mary needed all that God was and all that God is active in her and around her for what she was going to face. For what she was going to endure. For what she was going to have to have to live out the call and the will of God in her life. She was going to need all the holiness of God, all the power of God. All the grace of God. There were days that she would need the wisdom of God to know how to raise Jesus. There were days that she would need the power of God inside her to stand and to watch him being rejected by his own relatives and the people that were around him. There were the days that she was going to need the strength of God as she watched him move out and minister to people. Oh, she needed tremendous grace from God as she stood at the cross that day and watched His veins open up and stain that cross with blood that was so divine. When they put him into the grave, she needed grace from God to know how to walk away from that tomb. And she needed the grace of God that day that she believed that he was alive and well and back in the game full throttle again. She needed all of the grace of God. And folks, what God wants to do with us in prayer is that he wants us to experience all of who he is, all of his grace. Where we tend to stumble in prayer so often is that we settle for just portions of his grace. You see, on different days of our lives, we need different aspects of who God is. But I need all of God. There are days that I need a fresh experience of the holiness of God. And if I don't experience the holiness of God, I'm going to be enticed into sin. I'm going to want to walk into sin. And there are days that I need in the presence of strong temptation and even stronger experience of the holiness of God. So that deep inside of me, I thirst and yearn for Him more than I do the temptation that's being put in front of me. There are days that I need the grace of the strength of God. When I feel weak and I feel inadequate, Lord, I I need a fresh experience of your grace. There are days that you and I don't know the decisions that we ought to make. And we need the grace of the wisdom of God. But you see, sometimes what we do is that we settle for holiness and then we 
don't bother with his wisdom. Or we follow his wisdom, but we don't get his strength. So we don't have the strength to follow through on his wisdom. You see, what God was saying to Mary, and I think what he's trying to say to us is in prayer, we need all of who God is. And I need to make sure in my life that I'm experiencing the all of who the Lord is. Now, verse 29, it says that she is greatly troubled at his saying. Who can blame her? 15, 16, 17-year-old unmarried girl. You're going to get pregnant by God. You're going to raise the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Who wouldn't get troubled by something by that? You see, often what the Lord says to us is difficult, and we struggle to understand it. It's not because we're stupid. It's not because we're bad. It's because there's a whole lot of difference between God and us. And so when God communicates to us, we sort of look at it and we're like, are you really, I mean, are you pulling my leg, Lord? Are you really into this? What are you saying, God? You want me to go there? You want me to do this? Lord, you want me to become this? God, you're doing this in my life, whatever he says. Lord, I, I just don't know. This is, this is really difficult. And she was troubled. All of us are going to experience some troubling when we're in the presence of God. Let me tell you this. The next time you get troubled at what God's saying to you, that is a sign of maturity. It is not a sign of immaturity. In fact, if it's been a while since you and I were not troubled at what God was saying to us, that's a sign that we're not growing in Christ. Because when God grows us and stretches us, He troubles us. When God puts a challenge out in front of us, He challenges us. When God does a work in us, He troubles us. He stirs it up. And I don't know about you, but I found that every time in my life, when things start getting nice and smooth, God is saying, well, it was nice, but it's time for me to trouble things for a little bit for you. So that you're going to trust me more and follow me more and let me take you on to the next thing I've got for you. Now, she says she's troubled at the same. Notice verses 30 through 33. He says, Mary, don't be troubled. You have found favor with God. The word favor there means sweetness. It means joy. You have found the joy of the Lord. You have found the delight of God. It's the idea that God delights in you. You have found the favor of God. Think about your favorite candy. When you put it in your mouth and you start sucking on it, what kind of sensation do you have? You start relaxing. You start feeling good. You know, you get all those wonderful sensations, etc. Werther's Original is my favorite candy. I love to get that in my mouth. I mean, as soon as that sensation hits my tongue and goes through me, I just relax, go into my own little world, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Well, this idea of the sweetness here is that, Mary, you just take in the sweetness of God. You just relax and enjoy and begin to walk in what God has for you. How can you do that, Mary, in the light of what the Lord's just told you? Because of the promises of God. He's given you His presence. Now He's going to give you His promises. The promises of God are the life's blood of prayer. The promises of God are the life's blood of prayer. Pray the promises of God. Stand on the promises of God. Stand on the promises of God and pray. You say, Pastor, I don't know what the promises of God are. 
Get you a good study Bible. They'll have a listing in them of all the promises of God. And begin to pray the promises. Stand on the promises of God. Search for those promises. We're either standing on the promises of God or we are sinking in despair. Now, notice the promises of God that he gives her in verses 31 and 32. I'm going to read them in just a moment. But all those promises have one thing in common. Every last one of them points to Jesus. Every last one of them points to Jesus and describes who he's going to be. The promises of God will always point you to Jesus. One way or another, the promises of God will always cause our focus to come in on Jesus. Now notice the promises that he gives her in verses 31 through 32. Speaking of Jesus, he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. He will be the royal king. His kingdom will know absolutely no end. Now, the Lord is doing several things with her. He's saying, Mary, I want you to understand that when the baby is born, as you watch him grow up and enter into adulthood, and so much goes on with him, you don't understand. Understand who he is. He's great. He's going to be called the son of the highest. He's going to be the royal king, and his kingdom will know no end. But Mary, when you are going through everything that you are going to go through in raising him, when you endure everything that you have to endure, dirty diapers for you is going to be the easy part of raising this boy. Mary, as you go through that, what I want you to understand is who is in front of you. Keep your focus, Mary, on the one that's in front of you is the Son of the Most High. Keep your focus in front of you that He's the Royal King. Keep your focus that His kingdom will know no end. And when it looks like His kingdom has ended, understand that it has not ended. It knows no end. When the light of his life looks like it has been snuffed out, understand that it has not been snuffed out. It is getting ready to explode and be the light of the world. Now, what's the importance of that? Because when you and I grab hold of and live in and cling to and digest the promises of God and believe His promises and live His promises, then when the tough times come, we are standing on the promises of God. And it's those promises that build faith and get us through. It's those promises that we live in and live out of. Now, notice... The promise that he gives of the, his provision. We've seen his presence. We've seen his promises. Now notice the promise of his provision. And what is his provision going to be? Verse 35. And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. Promise of the provision. What's going to be the provision? The provision is that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The Holy Spirit is always the agent of the miraculous in our life. If you want to know the power of God, it's going to be through the agency of the Holy Spirit. If the church wants to know the power of God, it will always be through the person and agency of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is the most essential character of the Christmas story. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, Christmas story doesn't happen. 
There is no impregnation of Mary. She doesn't have the baby Jesus. So you don't have a nativity. You have nothing. But when was the last time you got a Christmas card with the Holy Spirit on it? When was the last time you saw a nativity with some kind of depiction of the Holy Spirit? When was the last time we even sang a Christmas carol that mentioned the Holy Spirit? For some unknown reason, we leave him out of the Christmas story like he doesn't have anything to do with it. But yet he is the main character in the story. He is silent. But without him, you don't have a Christmas story. Without him, we don't have any miracle of the birth of Jesus. You see, what the Holy Spirit does is so often silent. But if we don't have the Holy Spirit, nothing happens. Now, the temptation to say, well, Pastor, that sounds great, but that's Mary. How about us? Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, what he's saying in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 to the church, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples before he ascends. The same Jesus who had been conceived by the Holy Spirit is now looking at his disciples and saying, the same Spirit that was on me throughout my ministry, now that Holy Spirit is going to come on you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And folks, when God does a work in us and through us that's miraculous, it's always going to happen through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. What do we need to pray in prayer? Lord, would you fill me with your spirit? God, would you use me by your spirit? Lord, would you make me curious about the power and presence of the Holy Spirit? And he looked at her and he says, verse 7, 37, nothing is impossible with God. The virgin birth is a miracle. But miracles are where God camps out. To be honest with you, I have never understood why people have such an issue with the virgin birth. Because they say that that that, that kind of thing can't happen. Well, a a Savior can't happen without a miracle. A resurrection cannot happen without a miracle. Getting cleansed from our sin cannot happen without a miracle. If I can't accept the virgin birth because it requires a miracle, I might as well take the whole gospel and throw it out the door. Because if the virgin birth ain't going to happen because it requires a miracle, everything else that happens with Jesus isn't going to happen. And by the way, being changed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus and given a new life, that requires a miracle. If you're in here this morning and you say, I'm so messed up, I need a miracle, well, he's in the miracle business. He's been in the miracle business since Genesis chapter 1, but he took it up to a notch at Nazareth, and then he just kept on doing it. So, yeah, it's a miracle, and it requires a miracle, but guess what? We require a miracle, and we required a miracle back at Nazareth to do a miracle in us today. Now, notice Mary's response, verse 38. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, several things I want you to see that she says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. 
We don't pick up on that, but that was a counter-cultural prayer for that day. Now, let me tell you why. In Greek culture of that day, a person's personal freedom was considered the essence of their life. Any form of servanthood was looked down upon by Greek culture. The last thing in the world you wanted to say was you were somebody's servant in Greek culture. It meant you were taking a step down to say you were somebody's servant. So when Mary says, I am a servant of the Lord, she is praying a counter-cultural prayer for her day. She's taking a step down in the eyes of society. And folks, being God's servant is often going to mean that we're going to be, appear lower in the eyes of other people. Because we're not serving ourselves, we are serving Him. Because it's His value system, not ours. We're going to be looking like we're taking a step down in the eyes of the world. You have to take a step down often in the eyes of the world, take a step up to God. I am your servant. It is a statement of faith and commitment on her part. Now, I want you to imagine with me, step into the story and imagine what may have been going through her heart and her mind. As the angel says to her, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of the Most High is going to be upon you. And you're going to become pregnant and you're going to have a baby. She's 15, 16 years of age. She is not married. The first thought that would have gone through her mind, no doubt, is Joseph is going to think I've been messing around on him. And he's probably going to kick me out. In Jewish law of that day, if you got pregnant outside of marriage, particularly in a case like this, it was totally legal to throw you out of the family, throw you out of town, and even stone you to death. So she's sitting there hearing this thinking, I'm probably just lost my engagement in marriage to Joseph. The next thing she's thinking is she lives in a small town. Now, we live in a small town. Have you ever discovered that in a small town, people like to talk? And if you're in trouble and people find out that you're in trouble, people really like to talk. And it used to be back when I was growing, on, they, growing up, they got on the telephone and burned up the telephone. Now they go on the internet and they get on Facebook and Instagram and whatever went down with you that shouldn't have gone down with you becomes everybody's business real, real fast. Just hit that button and send that message. And there it is. Just post that thing. And it's out there. So can you imagine Mary's thinking, you know, when I walk through town and they start noticing that I ain't married, and my stomach is getting bigger. It's going to go all through town really quick. And, you know, if I walk, people walk up to me and say, Hey, Mary, what's going on with you? And I tell them that I am impregnated by God, by the Holy Spirit, with the Son of God. Can you imagine what people are going to say to me? Mary, you've been out smoking Palestinian weed. What is wrong with you? Boy, that was a good one. You must have stayed up all night long trying to dream that one up. Nobody was going to believe that she was impregnated with the Messiah of God. They think she's off her little rocker. And so she's sitting there thinking nobody is going to believe. You see, we read this story and we think, well, this just had to happen. But as Mary received this, she could have said no. 
She could have said, God, go find somebody else. I'm not losing my marriage over this. I'm not losing my reputation over this. This all sounds good for Miss Angel, but when the angel disappears, I'm stuck in this house, I'm stuck in this town, I'm stuck with my life, and I'm stuck with all the consequences of this. Go find you somebody else to do the job. Servanthood is often a journey that is tough. It's tough and blessed obedience. When Mary said to the Lord, I am your servant. Follow me on this. I am your servant. Whatever you say, God, I will do. She was giving up her reputation. She was giving up potentially her marriage to Joseph. She was giving up her plans for her nice, quiet life. And she was accepting the plans that God had for her. And in so doing, she discovered the potential that God had placed in her and the will that he had for her. And folks, when you and I pray the prayer of a servant, Lord, I am your servant, what we are saying to God is, God, I'm giving up my plans. God, I'm giving up my ideas about how I want to live my life. And God, I am accepting what you are calling me to be and to do. God, I am accepting your message. God, however you want to take me and however you want to use me is your business. Jesus said you got to give up your life to find your life. And that is what she was praying. One final thing I want us to see here. She was about 15 to 16 years of age. And God came to her with big stuff. Not a 30-year-old, not a 40-year-old. We would expect it maybe Elizabeth to have gotten a message like this, her cousin. But know this young teenage girl, big stuff, eternal stuff. Can I say something to my young folks for a moment? God does not have to wait to put big stuff on you. God does not have to wait. To say, I want to use you in a great way. You just be open to him and available to him and be his servant. And you will be surprised at how God will take your life. And he will use your life to his glory. We're the ones who tell God he's got to wait till a certain time. God's not. And on the flip side of the coin, the story we saw last week, Elizabeth was way up in age. And God said, I'm not through with you yet. You see, so often what we do is we tell God, He can't use me when I get a certain age way up here, or I can't use, He can't use me over here when I'm so young. Just stop telling God how to run His kingdom and how to manage our life and let God pull it off the way he wants to. You see, one of the things the Lord loves to do when he talks and uses young people in a great way, when he takes senior adults and uses them in a great way, it's so when they walk away, they say, God did that. 
When God comes to you and says, I want to use you in this way and say, Lord, it's too great. He gets all the glory and God's always going to set you up to where he gets the glory and you and I don't. That's the way he likes to operate. Prayer of a servant. Are you willing to pray it? Pray in the presence of God, standing on the promises of God, and relying on the provision of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. I want to encourage you this morning in silent prayer to simply pray what Mary prayed. Lord, I am your servant. Let my life be what you say. Lord, I am your servant. Let my life be what you say. Lord, together as your church, we are your servants. Let it be with us as you say. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, follow him and serve him. As, as we sing in just a moment, I invite you to walk the aisle here and say, I want to follow him. Want to serve him, want to walk with him. You feel sense that God is calling you to become part of our church family. We invite you to come and, and join here with us. And as you sing, if the Lord has been and is speaking to you and saying, I want to use you in a certain way and overwhelming you and troubling you, don't wait for the troubling to go away. Just say, Jesus, I am your servant. I'll stand on your promises, know your presence, and trust your provision. Father, have you way with us in these moments now as we respond to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand